Welcome to another Sensibility Podcast. Today we have Jared from Global Financial Consultants and Jared's going to be talking to us about um, financial advice um, with expats and he's actually located over in Singapore. And so I really want to, this topic interests me because, um, you know, I think we all need to have a concept of what could be if we are going to be offered work overseas or even actually understanding the greater work that advisors do and also the importance of getting financial advice, even if it is considering moving for another job. Um, Jared and I actually had a very lengthy conversation a couple of weeks ago, but then my, so this is really take two because my internet uh, died and so we've had to re-record. So I'm going to pretend I know nothing about um, Jared's work and the good work that he does and also his colleagues over here in Australia in Perth. So I'm going to just, uh, first of all, take it over to you, Jared. I want you to just introduce what your business is um, and sort of what kind of services you are offering expats over in Singapore. Sure. Thanks, Amy. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be here um, for Take Two. Mm -hmm. So yes, as Amy said, I'm based in Singapore. Uh, We look after the personal finance or financial advice for Australian expats based in Singapore. And that's now expanded to all over the world. So there's over a million Australian expats all over, uh, some of whom have, I guess, taken the decision to move home over the last 12, 18 months. Um, And then I think as we sort of exit COVID, there'll be many more who are looking at offshore opportunities. Um, As you mentioned, we then have a a link up, a tie up with a firm in Perth. Um, So that's largely been set up to look after our Australian expat clients, Australian assets. So think things like superannuation, insurances, uh, you know, they might have mortgages or need some debt planning in Australia. And then also to look after them once they actually return to Australia. Um, we find that Australia being the big, beautiful sandpit that it is, most people will at some stage in their either their career or life uh, actually look to return to Australia. Uh, so it's important that we have that connection and can kind of continue the relationship. Absolutely. Well, we were talking last time about um, the immense planning that can go in for someone who actually decides, okay, I've got this career opportunity. I'm going to uproot my family and we're going over to Singapore. It's going to be very exciting. But then there's all these little, you know, not issues, but there are things that you need to iron out and consider. And superannuation is one of them. And we discussed that there are um, similar sort of concepts over in Singapore and of which that uh, some companies will offer an expat so they can actually earn a retirement saving scheme, so to speak. Do you want to just explain those two types of um, sort of offers that someone in Singapore would be earning? And then we'll sort of break it down on how it could work for someone who's who's travelling over, working over in Singapore and returning to Australia. Yeah, certainly. So the, there's two main schemes and then there's kind of a third that some companies offer. So I'll touch on that last because it's quite different to the traditional schemes that we have here. Um, but the first retirement scheme or the equivalent to superannuation, if you like, is what they call the CPF, which is the Central Provident Fund. So Singapore's government or own pension system. And within that CPF, so the CPF system is for Singapore citizens or permanent residents of Singapore. So if you're an expat or a foreigner on a work visa, an employment pass, an S-pass, then you won't actually be eligible for CPF. Um, Now, it's a little bit different to superannuation in that it's actually split down into three different accounts. You have what they call the ordinary account, uh, which is sort of your everyday savings. You can use that to buy local Singapore property at some stage throughout your life, as long as you meet a a raft of other conditions. Uh, You've then got your special account, 
uh, which effectively once you turn 55 can then convert into your retirement account. And then you've got your medical account, which is kind of there to cover your medical insurance at a local Singapore level. So it's a little more diverse than super uh, because it just gives them, I guess, more choice in terms of where that money goes. I love this concept. It's such a great, so it's like a little safety net. You've got little umbrellas along the way. So, um, but it isn't available to expats. No. So what what is the other one that is? Yeah, so there are then uh, kind of two others. So the first is what they call a, the Supplementary Retirement Scheme or the SRS, which allows both uh, Singapore citizens, permanent residents uh, who have CPF as well to contribute, but it also allows uh, sort of expats like ourselves who are on work visas, employment passes, uh, to set up. We can contribute about $36,000 a year. Uh, it fluctuates slightly year to year, uh, and that acts as a tax deduction. That mm -hmm. money can then be invested uh, in a range of funds, different investments, and typically you would want to hold that vehicle for 10 years. Uh, because of the tax deferral, and we won't go into all of the nitty-gritty details today, um, because I'm sure some of your listeners will, will get bored, but um, effectively it's a bit of a long-term retirement set up uh, for us, for us as, as Aussie expats. Which is similar to how we have the, the superannuation vehicle. So, you know, our contributions are considered a tax deduction and then it's invested for the long term. So what would be an issue or an implication if you were working in Singapore and you have been there for a good decade or even longer and then your time's up or you're close to, you know, you just want to slow down or another offer's come um, or positions come back uh, in Australia or it might be due with your kids' education. Who knows? You're just heading back. What would be the issue there with moving that product back to super? Great question. So if you have held it for a long time, uh, as long as you roll it into superannuation relatively quickly, so Australia will typically give you about six months to consolidate your assets back into the country. Um, if it's a rollover into super, then there shouldn't typically be any issues at all. Uh, mm. But it won't actually be a rollover. It'll be a contribution. So that kind of opens up another element of planning uh, in that you know, we've got, as you're well aware, obviously, concessional, non-concessional limits. So we need to look at how all of that's actually going to play in together. So it's not exactly like super because you can access it prior to retirement. Right. Now, this is where your expertise will come into play and, and then also probably, the, you know, you'll need your connection with your team in Perth because if you are in a situation where you've got over that $300,000 and you've got less than, you know, six months, we've well, got six months to roll that into a fund, then you will need some additional planning and advice around the difference and also that, you know, where, where that money is going to go. So it means you can withdraw it. So they can actually take the difference. They say they have $500,000, $300,000 can go in, mm -hmm. so long as they're not going to be putting in $100,000 over the next couple of years. Um, and I won't go into all the rules, but, um, and I know that there's quite a lot of advisors that do listen to this podcast, so they'll understand that. And if you don't, reach out. Don't hesitate to ask questions. Um, you can contact either us when this is up on my website. So there are no such things as stupid questions. But what I'm saying is if there was $500,000 coming back to Australia, 300 goes into super, that 200 now needs to be allocated somewhere in some kind of investment. Um, so it actually keeps working for the, you know, now expat. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's just sort of understanding, again, how that sort of repatriation plan is going to look, where the different pots are going to go, 
Uh, one of the common strategies for a lot of Australian expats is really saving up to either sort of extinguish their mortgage when they return home or to you know, have a decent sized deposit to pay mm-hmm. off a new home when they return. So again, it's, it's just sort of understanding, yeah, what, what uh, pot of money is going to go where really when you return home, making sure limits are not being breached, making sure it all works tax-wise and you've kind of genuinely made the most of your time you know, while you've been in Singapore or elsewhere for that matter. Yeah, and that's the other thing, the elsewhere. It's a nice segue to what I was going to ask as well is that your business doesn't just deal with people, expats uh, locating to Singapore. You're in a very central part of the world, so you're dealing with uh, expats all over the place. So in that you'll have to have a very clear understanding of all sorts of different um, rules and regulations when it comes to retirement savings. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, we we deal with clients in the typical expat hubs, if you like. So your New Yorks, your San Francisco's, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, typically all very common. Uh, you get a lot of multinational firms that are shifting their staff all over the world. So you tend to get a very good understanding of those jurisdictions. Um, but then you'll get the curveballs, you know, the, the Mongolias, the Latvias, mm-hmm. the you know, other parts of Eastern Europe or Cambodia. So, yeah, I guess that's probably one of the most interesting parts of this job is really understanding how those systems work, what the setups look like, how does that work when you return to Australia, uh, all of those moving pieces. So, yeah, definitely quite fascinating. I bet. So you'd see the good, the bad and the ugly, and I, I say it that way because some countries really work well with the Australian system, like we, you know, with the UK pension, for example, Kiwi Super, um, 401k, you know, a little bit different, but it can it, it can be workable, right? But, you know, some countries you would find you, there'd be an issue with getting the money back to Australia. So um, I know I've recently, we talked about this before, I've had a, a case like that where the clients had funds in Papua New Guinea and we were only allowed to bring in, um, I think it was 100,000 or 200,000, I'm not sure now that, uh, you know, exchange rate there per year. So it's a long process to get a million dollars over back to Australia. So you wouldn't want to have to need that money in a hurry. Uh, have you got cases like that? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd have to say it's probably one of the biggest frustrations. Um, I mean, the restriction of the movement of capital is not terribly common because you've only got a few countries that uh, sort of fall into that category. But I think the biggest issue is a lot of these uh, Australian expats will work in, let's say, London or Hong Kong or even Singapore in some instances where they get into the local pension system. They've saved up all of this money and you can't actually roll it into superannuation. You have to wait until you retire. Mm. So all of these you know, Aussie expats end up with these pots of money in all sorts of different jurisdictions and there's, you know, they, they've never kind of tied them all together. If you ask them what their net worth was, they might have a rough idea, yeah. but that's about it. Yeah. So you would probably have to create a sort of a, a CRM a spreadsheet or some kind of system where they can actually see what their actual net worth is based on all that information. Yeah, that's exactly Lots, right. So you know, lot- what the account number is, what the provider is, <laughs> how much it's worth, all the, you know, all the usual things that people forget. Yeah. So that's a headache us advisors often go through, that fact-finding process and the research. And, you know, sometimes I say it's going to take a few weeks, sometimes it takes longer. I guess your headache is much bigger than our average Australian kind of fact-find process. Yeah, look, it certainly can be. 
Um, there are some providers where you're genuinely waiting months for statements. Okay. Uh, there are some providers that may not even exist anymore. Um, you know, they might have transitioned over to a new company or been rebranded. Uh, the, the Australian expat has no idea who they've been rebranded to because maybe they didn't update their address on file or they forgot about it or they got busy, life got in the way. Um, so, yeah, it's often some interesting discussions. Yeah, I bet. So you really have to be very, you've got to have these, you know, these skills in regards to your technical skills, but these soft skills to manage. I can, I can only imagine if you've been working in a country for many, many years and then, you know, along the way you're changing jobs and then you travel to another country and then not have any idea where that money's gone. That would be incredibly stress, uh, stressful for someone. How do you deal with that? Lots of hold-handing, I mean, hand-holding, I mean. Look, that's exactly right. It is just lots of hand-holding. I mean, thankfully, there aren't too many cases where we're not able to identify who it's with, Um, particularly, as I said, those those expat hubs that are more common uh, for our clients to work in will generally know, you know, if a company has changed hands, if they've rebranded, who they've become, who the contact point is. So even if the clients have no idea where it might be, we can, you know, generally help them find it it's going to take a little bit of time uh, but quite often yeah we'll be able to track it down and this comes back down to um, why someone really needs to get advice and speak to someone who's an expert in you know the expat space Um, and I know you guys have you know leaders in that space Um, but we talked also about planning and I don't want to scare people who are thinking I want to go overseas I've got this amazing opportunity and then think oh it's going to be all too difficult because if you've got someone in your corner like yourself um, it it would make it so much easier to manage and if you get in early and get the whole process organized very early in the piece then all of those years of working overseas and even traveling will be so much more organized and sorted out and that's something that we talked about you did as well is, is you can give sort of advice on on the process of moving from one country to another and how to get set up and and you know the banking system the tax system and just all the the entrance sort of level of moving from one country to another can you give us an idea of that kind of service that you would be able sort of advice or direction you could give someone yeah certainly so it's, look, it's been a, a, quite an interesting journey. So I've been in Singapore now for just shy of eight years. And for the first two to three years, it was all about the expat package. So no one really had any worries about money because they were all earning arguably too much money. The rent was paid for, the trips home were paid for, school was paid for. So without really having any discipline or trying at all, everyone could save a good amount of money. So no one really sought out advice, generally speaking, very few sought out advice before they actually left. So let's say they were moving from Australia to Singapore or to Hong Kong or to some other country. They just kind of figured, you know, she'll be right because the income level is going to be so high, we don't really need to worry. And then over the last five years, we've transitioned into this uh, situation where these expat packages don't really exist anymore. Mm. People are still earning great money, uh, but it's not what it once was. So now all of a sudden we need to actually plan, we need to save, we need to be a little more disciplined about our expenses. And what we've noticed, and we try to be uh, sort of relatively active on social media, videos, and provide as much helpful content as we can, is a lot more people are reaching out three, six, 12 months before they're actually leaving Australia. 
And so they're arriving in Singapore and instead of getting sort of sucked up into the, the whirlwind of life in a busy expat city, they know that their savings are on track, their health insurance is set up, their Australian insurances are going to cover them while they're here, their super is remains appropriate. All of those sort of personal finance housekeeping items are mm-hmm. done. Fantastic. And they know, you know, they already have a plan in place so that if they're in Singapore for two years, three years, 25 years, they know that if and when they eventually do leave, you know, they can actually look back and know that they made the most of it. And that's amazing because, I mean, I know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a planner, so I like to know that everything's going to be organised. Like I'm one of those people that when I travel overseas, I carry um, a folder of everything printed out, um, medicals and everything, all insurances, just in case. I mean, everything's digital, but I still do it. So um, that kind of concept, knowing that there is a service that if there's an opportunity for a career overseas, which is incredibly exciting. And I'm uprooting my entire family and that's education and um, where to live, um, you know, the insurance, all of that being organised would just be so much easier just to jump in and get into that career and get into that lifestyle. Um, So there's another, again, another reason to even just reach out and get that advice early in the piece. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, we find particularly Singapore, Hong Kong, and I mean, I can only speak, I've only lived in Singapore as an expat, so you know, been through this experience ourselves. And we know the first year just disappears in a flash. By the time you move in, you figure out where on earth do I buy furniture, realise there's no big W or Kmart or Target here. So you've got to go and try and you know, go through the trenches, figure out where you're going to buy all this stuff to fill your house. And you look back and the first year is gone. Yeah. You save nothing, you plan for nothing. Um, so, yeah, the more you can kind of get that done either before you go or at least mm-hmm. have an idea what it's going to look like, uh, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Um, and I guess we're also in a, and we spoke about this um, before we came on air this time around and we didn't discuss it much when we did our first take, which didn't go to air, um, is what things are like now in Singapore for you know, during COVID and um, how it has actually affected businesses and if there's a, an exodus of expats coming back to Australia or if it's business as usual? Yeah, good question. So Singapore, um, as I guess anyone who's spent a bit of time in Singapore would probably expect, got onto this very early. Um, they obviously had a, a bit of a plan in place from SARS and yeah. I remember being here uh, in Singapore January, February of uh, 2019 and noticing that certain, um, you know, train station exits were being closed, shopping centre <coughs> entrances were shutting, and sort of remember thinking it all felt a bit strange. You know, why is Singapore sort of overreacting to this, you know, virus that is not really spreading anywhere? Mm-hmm. And it all felt very surreal. And then obviously by March, you know, the Western world woke up to exactly what had happened. Um, and then very quickly, Singapore went into uh, sort of full lockdown, if you like, mm-hmm. for uh, I think just shy of two months. Mm-hmm. They called it circuit breaker here. Um, so Singapore likes to have a, a title for most things so that people like can understand it. exactly what's involved. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, you know, you can only leave your house for essentials. You can only leave for a short period of exercise and masks, you know, must be worn at all times. So, yeah, very strict lockdown initially. Mm-hmm. 
And then they gradually uh, started reopening. So businesses were allowed to return to the office, but only at limited capacities. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of businesses are still working from home and will likely continue for the remainder of this year. Mm -hmm. um, and then restaurants or uh, dining facilities have all gone from around 50% uh, up to 65% capacity allowed now. Uh, so a lot of them are obviously suffering uh, because it's just not bringing in enough revenue um, to sustain themselves. And we're now in a position, uh, I guess, so yeah, what are we, mid-Feb mid um, of this year, we're about to head into Chinese New Year. So the Singapore government's a little bit nervous around uh, any blow-ups in numbers on that side, uh, but mm -hmm. things are very slowly returning to some degree of normal, I guess. Mm -hmm. Masks are still um, essential. The only other sort of major restriction, I think, for many is that um, venues, so bars, uh, nightclubs, restaurants have to be uh, or have to stop serving alcohol from 10.30. So wow. a, a bit of a change for uh, most expats as far as their everyday lives are concerned. Yes, I have been to Singapore um, <laughs> and sort of going out for dinner and then going to a bar afterwards is a quite a, it was a very healthy lifestyle, even, you know, in terms of having a few drinks and, you know, it's very similar to similar lifestyles with Sydney, actually, I think, but um, yeah, that I would be very so. different. So why would they restrict the drinking at, after 10.30? Is it just because people get a bit too relaxed about Yeah, look, I think that's exactly right. So they, uh, they've imposed a restriction where there can only be eight people uh, together at a, at a venue. You can only have eight visitors to your home. So they want to keep the groups or the gatherings quite small. Mm -hmm. And I think the concern is yeah, if people are still out drinking after 10.30, then perhaps that gets quite difficult to manage right. uh, from their perspective. So, Okay. And have you noticed any, like, has there been an increase of people going home, like expats going home this year? <clears throat> yeah, look, there certainly has. Uh, last year, there, I mean, a limited number of our clients and a limited number of Australian expats actually lost their jobs. Um, so that was very pleasing to see. Mm -hmm. But the big issue, I think, for a lot of Australian expats, particularly here, is most of us live here because it is, you know, as you highlighted earlier, the regional hub, a great place to travel from. The airport is consistently the best in the world. Absolutely. Uh, and in my opinion, nothing, nothing even comes close. It's very, very fast, very user-friendly. And, you know, you can take a weekend trip to most parts of Asia uh, very easily and, we're now in a position where that obviously didn't happen last year. It's potentially unlikely to happen this year. So I think a lot of people who are still employed, are still saving money, are still living their normal lives here, are saying, well, the kids can't play sport. We can't travel. What are we doing here? You know, let's just mm. go back to Australia. So right. my expectation is 2021 will see uh, potentially a larger exodus of Australian expats than 2020 did. Right. So you're going to be busy. <laughs> going to be very busy. That is for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, you know, anyone who's listening who um, are expats working in Singapore, it's probably best to get in touch with Jared and his team to get that organised before you head back to Australia to make sure all your ducks are in a row. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're starting to see uh, a little bit of traffic coming the other way uh, mm -hmm. in terms of people actually coming into Singapore. And I think that'll, that'll continue. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think for a lot of people, again, with Singapore's, one of Singapore's key attractions, other than the ridiculously low tax rate, 
is that you know, there are so many travel opportunities from here. Yeah. So I think as Singapore starts to reopen, as you know, travel becomes a possibility again, that's when I think we'll start to see a real ramp up in, uh, in more Australians actually coming here for work. Mm. Well, it's certainly a country I would love to live in. I remember going there and going, oh, I could, I could live here easily. And I was around the corner of um, Orchard Road and it was just the best. And also I love, I love the food over there. So um, you're in a very lovely part of the world, I have to say. And I'm looking forward to getting back there. That's just definitely one of the places I'd be travelling when um, things start opening up. Um, now, back to sort of what we, what we do as advisors. Um, your, obviously, your business, your core business is, is to assist your exp, you know, um, expats, Australians, in making sure that their assets are being looked after. Obviously, you would have services like you would have you know, investment strategies and insurances and things like that. I mean, not talking too much on product, but it is important to ensure that you've got the right vehicles in place for that when these clients come to you. Um, is there sort of a sort of quite a, a array of options when it comes to investing in, in Singapore and creating portfolios for clients? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so there's an array of platforms, not terribly dissimilar to the platforms and products that are in Australia. Um, I would say the one critical difference is they tend to be more global. Um, I think Which a lot is of a particularly, positive. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. Um, I think a lot of Australian expats, particularly if Singapore is their first uh, sort of foray into expat life, realise just how small Australia is mm. um, and opens up this world of investment opportunities in you know, overseas companies. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, certainly having platforms, I guess, where they can get that international exposure from an investment uh, standpoint, um, particularly Australian dollar exposure is obviously quite important to mitigate some of the FX risk, mm -hmm. depending on how long they plan to stay here. Uh, from an insurance standpoint, it's sort of understanding are the insurers actually going to cover them if and when they return to Australia? Will they cover them if they uh, get relocated for work somewhere else? Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. So because insurance is something that, um, especially like income protection or trauma cover, um, is quite important when you are working. You want to protect yourself as, as the asset that's creating that income. Um, do you have those those kind of offerings over there? We do, yeah. So, so but exactly are they the different? Same. Are they the same? Um, in Australia? The one, uh, well, a couple of key differences I think here are that the coverage is typically always global with most mm -hmm. of the international insurers um, because it has to be. Most Australian expats in particular are not going to live in Singapore through to retirement. So having cover that will cover them, you know, as I said, back in Australia, uh, quite a number of them tend to be multi-currency. So particularly if, for example, you know, if someone was diagnosed with a disability or an illness or you know, heaven forbid, passed away, if the family would relocate to Australia in that scenario, well, perhaps we should have the policy in Australian dollars just to reduce that FX risk. Wow. So there's a lot of flexibility there for someone who is, tra you know, travelling and working overseas, which is, you know, I'm, I'm obviously an advocate to um, insurance and ensuring that people, uh, you know, consider their risk and um, make sure that they are protected for all sorts of things. Obviously 
to a point we're not you know uh, over overly protected but enough that they have that peace of mind so that's important to to know another another reason to have that conversation especially before potentially before moving overseas or once you're there getting all that sorted out because um you do not want to be stuck overseas and not protected in so you know especially what we've just seen with um covid yeah, look, that's exactly right. I mean, I think one of the uh, unfortunate parts of our job is, I guess, typically most advisors are going to have been through claims with their clients or families of clients or friends of clients. And it's it's not a fun experience, but no. certainly a much better experience than if there was no cover at all. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we're all there. I mean, if you're going over there to work, you're there to work and earn money to create a lifestyle and you need that protected. So there's no point being there without protecting that. And it is a wonderful country, but there's also amazing countries that um, expats are living. As you said, we, we shouldn't just restrict this to where you are located in Singapore, but because your services are extensive worldwide. Um, so that actually is a good question in respect to the worldwide. Have you got access to covering people in other countries? It's a lot yeah, you'd the, have to learn. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the majority of countries. So uh, for some, we'll have an idea what the local products look like, um, what they need to watch out for. Um, but certainly with some, there'll be, um, you know, the need to actually work with a local advisor on the ground there to as assess and understand, all right, what does the local life insurance policy look like? Mm -hmm. Is it good? Is it bad? Do we need a, a top up or a backup or, or something different altogether? Right. Fantastic. So there's actually so many more options than just getting everything sorted out here. You actually can get parts of it sorted out here and, and actually cover them extensively elsewhere as well. Fantastic. I love yeah. that. Um, now, I think we've covered almost everything that you're doing over there um, in terms of superannuation, investing and insurance and also preparing people to get there and to get home. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that I wanted to ask you because I think we've really covered the majority. Um, I guess have you got any stories or any experiences that sort of may have thrown you or wins that you could share? Yeah, look, certainly. Um, probably a couple of key stories, uh, mm -hmm. one which kind of highlighted uh, the the early days, I guess, of just how good the expat packages were and and all the rest of it. I um remember a, a gentleman came into the office he was the 2ic at a, a global auto brand and his boss had just been let go and they'd both been in singapore for around 11 years so quite a long time living the good life earning great money and we sat down you know, we were going through the fact find having a bit of a chat about what he's looking for and throughout the sort of fact find experience he's outlining how much he's earned and we went through his balance sheet and his cash flow and highlighted for him that he'd actually spent about $11 million wow. and had absolutely nothing to show for it. Oh my goodness. And we both kind of looked at each other, both felt a bit sick, him more than I, obviously. <laughs> As you do, yeah. And, uh, and he said, look, you know, I, I know what, what we've done. We need to draw a line in the sand and we need to do something about this. Um, because, you know, the tax rate is so low here, there is no capital gains tax. So, yeah, that was certainly an eye-opener, I think, mm. in terms of we don't see that very often anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I think that mentality is largely gone. People have seen their friends, their colleagues, um, you know, actually depart Singapore, those who've done very well and those who've kind of done very poorly 
or who have very little to show for it. Yeah, and that's where good advice comes into play, right? Getting someone to go, okay, you can have your cake and eat it too. Let me show you how. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. That you can still have an amazing lifestyle and save and invest and prepare for your future. And then that way you're actually stretching what you're earning now for the future so that you can still have an amazing lifestyle when you're no longer in Singapore earning that amazing money in that amazing tax environment. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. Um, and perfect world, then coming to Australia, retiring in an even amazing, better tax environment, Zil, you know, with your superannuation and pension. If you get yeah. it all, if you get it all that balancing right in the perfect world, that, you know, I mean, obviously there's tax, tax needs to be paid in certain things and certain assets and there's capital gains in Australia. But I mean, our job is to navigate and direct our clients to get the best outcome um, with earning their money, protecting their money, investing their money and retiring with their money so that they can continue on. So that would have been an incredible eye-opener, $11 million and nothing to show for it. Yeah, quite uh, quite terrifying really. So, yeah, thankfully, as I said, we don't see those anymore and I genuinely hope that no one's still living that sort of lifestyle here. I'm sure there would be a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, certainly far less common. Yeah, I guess you probably could use that story when you see someone, you know, coming in and they're just so excited about the, their new lifestyle and the kind of income that they're earning and you can sort of rein them in and go, hey, do you want to be that guy or that woman? This yeah, is this exactly this is right. This is the way. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit of a Star Wars mood. Um, yeah, so showing them the way. Um, so I'm, I'm quite impressed with how much you would have to learn and how many different types of, besides the two, or sorry, now three um, types of streams of retirement savings that you can, you're, you know, you need to know. Um, there's so many other things that you would have to learn about outside of Singapore as well. So you're, you know, quite an expert in that field. So I would be definitely saying if anyone needs to get um, some advice and even preparing to go overseas or once you're over there and doesn't matter if you are in Singapore to definitely reach out to Jared um, all your information will be putting on our website I'm going to be putting this on my social media stream and you know you're welcome and also which includes um, YouTube and also I'd be you know give it, you should be popping this up on yours um, because I think the more we talk about what financial advice is it gives people more of an understanding and uh, comfort to know that that may be what is what they need and it isn't I, I believe it you know there are some extremely expensive services out there but if you go in with an open mind and actually understand the value and how you can actually get ahead long term it's certainly worth the investment and the time to speak to someone like yourself or myself or anyone um, in within our communities um, just to get that take those first few steps um, to get yourself on that financial pathway. Absolutely. Yeah, and I really want to thank you today for your time and for coming back again um, second time around for, uh, for you. Um, and if uh, anyone has any questions, um, please reach out to us. Um, contact Jared and myself. Um, we're both available online. Um, and I'm also wanting to, by the way, put this on the XY community because we, we met through um, an advisory sort of community, uh, sorry, for financial advisors and, and people in our industry. Um, and I think they'd be really happy to hear what, what you have to say as well. So I really appreciate your time today, Jared. Thanks, Amy. It's been a lot of fun. I really yes, appreciate your time and the opportunity. 
Oh, thank you. All right. We'll see you soon. No worries. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, everyone, like, hit like if you like this um, this podcast. There are going to be more. I've had a bit of a break, but I'll be buying back. Thank you.